0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. All right, First Kings chapter 19 and 20. Our title tonight is Dealing with Discouragement. Dealing with Discouragement. Well, go to your room, Phil. Those were the words that I heard many times in my life as I was growing up, usually from my mother After I did something bad, right? But most recently, it was from the president. (laughs) Yes, Mr. President Trump told me to go to my room. He told you to go to your room too. He wasn't just talking to me, he was talking to America, right? I'm talking about, of course, what our country is dealing with right now, really, what our whole world is dealing with. We're trying to slow down the spread of this virus from Wuhan, China, called the COVID 19 coronavirus. And, and, and I'm telling you guys, it was not an easy decision to suspend the uh, public services here at our church. I, I can guarantee you that it was not lightly made. The decision was made after seeking the Lord and praying and discussion, but that decision to ask all of you guys to stay home was very difficult to make. Because we love you guys, and we love to meet together for fellowship. In fact, you guys know, as human beings, God created us for fellowship. We need each other. He made us to come together. So having to be apart is really hard. And choosing for the greater good to not gather publicly during this time, it's a hard choice. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. And I'll be honest with you guys. It's got me down a little bit. I'm I'm a little bit discouraged by not getting to meet with you, especially during this time. It's a very meaningful time in my life, but thankfully, that's exactly what we're talking about tonight in our passage. For those of you who attend church here at Calvary Chapel, you know that our MO is going through the Word verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, And so it's not surprising to us or to me that it just so happens that God planned it all out, that tonight we would be talking about fear and isolation and discouragement and depression. God is just awesome like that. That's just the way he is. So how do you deal with setbacks and discouragement and depression and fear in your life? You see, we all have a choice, don't we, when it comes to those things, discouragement and fear and anxiety. We can move forward in obedience to the Lord, or we can remain stagnant and self-focused. Tonight, in our chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to see how a man who is greatly used by God deals with fear and anxiety and discouragement and depression. So, as you're there in your homes, again, I'm picturing my family, gather for an online church Bible study, grab your Bibles, guys, open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19, and grab a notepad or open that note, those notes on your phone, and let's dive into the Word of God and allow His Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts tonight through the Word. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, we see some discouragement and depression here and fear. Verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. So let me pause right here after verse 1 and just fill you in on the context. If you remember Pastor Justin teaching last week, he covered the the, the amazing story of how King, uh, or or how... uh, Elijah there on Mount Carmel went up against the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal, and he faced off with them to find out. It's like, hey, either God is God or Baal is God. We're gonna decide this right now. So he threw down the gauntlet in a challenge, and you know the story. The priests and prophets of Baal they danced themselves into a tizzy all around that altar and they were, you know, crying out to Baal, and, and they were cutting themselves, and they were dancing and praying and saying, where are you, Baal? And Elijah was kind of, he was kind of, you know, jawing them a little bit. He was kind of like, oh, maybe he's asleep, or maybe he's using the restroom right now, you know, and he was just kind of ribbing them, you know, like any good prophet of God would do. And, and so they, they, they went crazy, right? And then Elijah gets his chance, and Elijah stands there and he says, no, wait, we're going to drench this sacrifice and altar with water first. So they, they dump water all over the sacrifice, if you remember. And then Elijah just says a simple prayer. And then I love what happens next. God just shows up and sends fire from heaven and boom, just burns up. Not only the sacrifice, not only the altar itself and, and, and everything there was turned to ash, but also completely dries up the water all the way around that altar. So in just a, a monumental moment, a miraculous moment, Elijah triumphs over the prophets of Baal. And of course, the people realize, wow, Yahweh is God. These guys are frauds. So they gather them together, and they execute all those prophets with the sword. And now, now all of a sudden, the word of this reaches Ahab's wife, Jezebel, King Ahab of the northern tribes. His Jeze- Jezebel, his wife, finds out what Elijah has done and she uh, sends a messenger in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she issues a clear threat against Elijah's life. She tells him, I am going to hunt you down and kill you. She makes no uh, shadows about that threat. She makes it very clear. In verse 3, we continue on. It says, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. That's a tree that grows brooms, by the way, just in case you were wondering. But be that as it may, and then he prayed there that he might die. Notice his prayer. He says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my fathers. And then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, "Arise and eat." Let's pause right here for just a second. Look look at his prayer there. He says, "Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my fathers." You know, e- Elijah is really discouraged and really depressed right now. He's so depressed. That he actually states that he would rather die right now. That's that's what his state of his heart is at. I don't know about you, but but have you ever have you, you guys ever gotten to this place before? I mean, think about that. That's a pretty low place to be. But I would I would bet that most of us have experienced something like this in our life. If your life has, you know, been touched by sin or by the the fallenness of this world there are times in our lives where i think all of us get really discouraged and we get really low it says but let's continue the story. i'll make some more comments on that in a minute look in verse five as he lay and slept under that broom tree an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water so he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel of the lord came back a second time touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went, into this, went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. Get that! Forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And, then, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10. So he said... I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Let's pause here for a while tonight. What has happened to Elijah? What is going on in his life right now? Well, as is so often the case in real life, Many people, as I spoke of before, experience discouragement and depression after their greatest achievements and victories. Yes, even me, Pastor Phil. You say, You, Pastor, you experience discouragement and fear and anxiety? Oh, yes, even depression at times. I do. And and, and this is not something that is uncommon to the, the experience of men and women that follow Christ it's it's actually if you study the scriptures there's several men and women of God who went through really tough times of discouragement and depression think about it Elijah has just come from Mount Carmel he witnessed God do an amazing work of sending down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice and the altar there which by the way were soaked in water So he's just seen God do an amazing miracle. He's witnessed the people of Israel proclaiming that they would no longer follow Baal or or his prophets, but instead they would turn back to the God of Israel. So there was a revival there. And then while he's riding that mountaintop victory experience, suddenly his life is threatened and everything changes. He flees in fear. Now, I don't know about you, but I can identify with Elijah here because there's so many times in my life when I'm doing great and things are going good, and then suddenly somebody doesn't like what I say or do, or somebody is not happy with me, or somebody makes a threat, veiled as it may be, but it's still a threat, and sometimes it it causes everything to change. It can throw me off. Let's take a look at this a little bit more closely, this passage Because, you guys, fear is so often associated with discouragement and depression. You see, it's fear here that drives Elijah to flee from what he was doing there for the Lord. But why was he afraid? That's the question I want you to ask yourself tonight. Why was Elijah afraid here? He's just seen the Lord do an incredible miracle of sending fire from heaven. Now, I believe that Elijah somehow took his eyes off the Lord in this moment. And he got caught up in looking to his own ability to protect himself. Fear can fill our hearts very quickly, especially when we forget the Lord and his promises. You see, fear causes us to flee and to isolate ourselves. And we need to be careful that fear and anxiety don't overcome faith. Let me say this. And, and let's back up a second. You know, asking, why is Elijah afraid in the first place? Remember, it's a threat that comes from Jezebel. She tells him, I'm going to track you down and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make your life just like the lives of those prophets of Baal that were, were, uh, there, that, that were uh, executed there on Mount Carmel. So she She sows this fear into his life, and and he is not the same. You know, he changes. Now, let me say this before I move on. Fear is perfectly normal. Fear is part of every one of our experience. But we have to learn to allow our fears to bring us closer to the Lord. You know, even as I speak, we aren't meeting tonight in person because of the Wuhan coronavirus, the COVID-19 And many of us have fear of the unknown that we're dealing with here. There's so many unknowns, isn't there? We we have an unknown economic picture in the future. We have an unknown uh, quantity of time that this virus may last for. We have so many unknowns medically, economically, emotionally, uh, dealing with our families, all of these things, work environments, all of these things, fears fears of the unknown. But this is a great time to look to God's word right now and to learn from the life of Elijah. And what we see is that God is not angry at Elijah. Catch that. Don't miss that. God is not angry at Elijah for being afraid. (laughs) I love that. God doesn't come in and condemn Elijah and slap him around in the face and say, oh, you little baby, what's wrong with you? No, God doesn't condemn him. He simply acknowledges that Elijah is afraid. And he's on the run, and God, I love this, God sends him an angel to help him work through it. God sends him help to work through this time of fear and anxiety in Elijah's life. Guess what, church? God will help us to work through our fear. He will patiently lead us to faith as we rest in him. Notice with me, Elijah needed rest. Elijah slept under that broom tree, which, by the way, doesn't produce brooms. I was just being funny there. I I know my kids probably believed me not, but that broom tree is just a short scrub brush kind of a tree, has really deep roots to get down to water, but it's not a really big tree on the surface, but Elijah found that tree, and he laid himself down inside of that shade and rested and, and I love how God sent him an angel to prepare some food. It might have been the birth of angel food cake, you guys, although I'm definitely sure it was not an unhealthy meal. In fact, I would love to know what the ingredients of that meal were because, you know what, it supplied Elijah with enough energy to travel, it says, for the next 40 days and nights on that one meal. Can you imagine that? All the moms are going, yeah, show me where to get, these, where to get this meal from. How can I make this? Well, did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus tells us he is the bread of life? And do you remember that he told the woman from Samaria at the well that he offered living water? What am I saying here? Well, I'm saying to you and to me and to the church that is scattered tonight that Jesus tells us, and I don't think it's a coincidence here, that Elijah is served bread and water. I think it's a picture. I think it's an analogy of the presence of Christ in our lives. As we rest under the broom tree, so to speak, in the shade that God's providing, as we eat of His bread, the Word of God, as we drink of His living water, the Holy Spirit, we are refreshed and refilled and able to accomplish all that God has for us to do. Now, before we move on, I want us to learn some lessons from Elijah's discouragement. Because this is really important. This is a great text that we can learn how to deal with fear and depression and discouragement in our own lives. Now, the first lesson that I want us to see from Elijah's situation is that we need to try to find the source of the discouragement or depression in our lives, The Lord actually asked Elijah, and more than once, as we'll see in this passage, he says, what are you doing here? Now, the Lord, of course, isn't asking Elijah, you know, in a practical way, what are you doing here? Like, hey, what are you doing right here? God can obviously see that Elijah is running, but God is actually dealing with Elijah's heart. This is a question that's aimed at Elijah's heart. He's trying to get Elijah to think deeply and to find the source of this fear and discouragement in his life. He's trying to get him down to the root of what's going on. Now, Elijah's response shows us that he was feeling alone. But as we'll see, that was just not true. Did you know that often the source of our discouragement and depression is based on a lie or a false narrative that we feed ourselves over and over and then we start to believe it? You see, Elijah was there. He was threatened by Jezebel. She said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. You're going to be just like those prophets of Baal. Now, in Elijah's mind, he's thinking about the 450 prophets that he just witnessed their execution a few days before. And he's thinking, that's what she's going to do to me. And he starts to believe that false narrative. He starts to, to buy into the lie. He feeds it to himself over and over. And then he, he, he caves in he gets his eyes off the Lord and he runs. Isn't that the way it so often works with us? Somebody says something mean about us or to us. Somebody uh, makes a threat, whether clear or veiled, or somebody, perhaps the enemy, plants a seed of condemnation in our own mind and we begin to repeat it. We put it on repeat and we begin to believe it. We feed it to ourselves over and over. So the Lord is asking this question, "What are you doing here? Where, where is your heart at, Elijah? Why are, why are you on the run? And that's what we need to see, too. The Lord wants us to try to find the source of that discouragement, oppression. We need to find where it's coming from, what is causing it. Secondly, a second lesson we can get from Elijah's situation here is that we need to get some physical rest. We need rest. I'm just going to say it. God created us to work six days and to rest for one day. God is into taking time to rest, to be replenished, to be filled. In fact, if you think about your own biological clock, we're programmed to need sleep every night. And and we need that physical rest. And Elijah needed rest in this passage. You see, discouragement and depression can really be intensified in your life, if you are just plain worn out. So here's a very practical lesson. Get some rest. Get some rest. Maybe you're going too hard. (laughs) Maybe you're stressing out. Maybe you're waking up too early and going to bed too late. Maybe you're uh, just running, burning the candle on both ends, and you just need to slow down and take some time to rest. A third lesson we can learn from Elijah's situation here is to get some exercise Another very practical note. Notice Elijah walked for 40 days and 40 nights. Try that sometime. You'll need a new pair of shoes. But it's been clinically proven, actually, that exercise is one of the most helpful ways. This is really hard, by the way. When I tell a joke and nobody's laughing, you know, I can't tell if you guys are laughing or not. It's really hard for me. But anyways, it's been clinically proven that exercise is one of the most helpful ways to cure anxiety and depression. So get up, get out of that bed. Put your shoes on and go outside for a walk. Talk to the Lord while you're on that walk. And, and, and just spend some time, I, I found that when I get outside and see the heavens opened up, see the trees, hear the birds chirping, And see the little wildflowers that are blooming this time of the year in the spring. It it does so much for my countenance. It lifts my heart. It, It wakens my mind. And I think that that's important. Also, as a side note, it's also been clinically shown that laughing out loud and smiling is also proven to be helpful in curing anxiety and depression. So there's three little practical tips. Get some rest. Get some exercise. And talk out loud and Smile. Make, a, make it a point to smile. Maybe do it while you're walking around. Your neighbors might think you're weird and crazy, but that's okay. That's okay. Pretty soon they're going to go, hey, I, I, I want to I meet you. I want to talk to you. Why are you walking around smiling all the time? Oh, I'm curing anxiety and depression. But you don't have to tell them that, right? You could just say, hey, it's the joy of the Lord. But those are some good practical lessons. A, a fourth thing, a fourth lesson we can take from Elijah's life here uh, when dealing with discouragement, fear, depression Number four, tell yourself what to do. You see, the Bible is clear that if you want to change how you feel, you need to tell your soul what to do. (laughs) Your soul needs directions, in other words. So start by cutting out all the what-if scenarios in your mind. That's a big one, right? Just start by cutting out the what-if scenarios. You know what? I'm not going to go there. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What's the key to having the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, by the way? God didn't tell you you're gonna understand why we're going through all of this. That's not your place. You're not God. But he does tell you he'll give you his peace and he'll also guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus if you will pour your heart out to him and stop dwelling on the what ifs. We don't deal in the what ifs realm, guys. That's not our place. God is the only one who is omniscient and has all knowledge, even middle knowledge, which is all those potential what if scenarios. He knows all that stuff. Let him deal with it. We are to pour out our hearts to the Lord and then let his peace guard our hearts. That's the first thing. So don't start, cut out all the what-if scenarios in your mind. And secondly, tell your soul to only think on what is true. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report— And if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I'm picturing in my mind my family listening to this Bible study in their living room right now. And and I bet that my wife and a couple of my kids were actually saying that verse with me because they have it memorized. They have that verse memorized. But it's only by meditating. That verse is telling us that only by meditating on the true principles of God's word can you change the way that you feel Philippians four eight gives us that scriptural medicine for curing anxiety, fear, and depression. It tells us that we are to let our minds be fixated or absorbed or dwell on those things. What is good in your life right now? Can you name one thing that is good? Maybe your fingernails are growing. Hey, that's good. That's a good thing. Your blood is flowing. Your heart is pumping. Those are good things. You could dwell on those things. What is lovely around you right now? I don't know about you guys. I mentioned this earlier, but my yard is growing a lot of weeds right now. So much so that I have to mow it as soon as I can get out there. But along with those weeds, there's a whole lot of really beautiful springtime. uh, We'll call them flowers. Um, They're probably weeds, but they look really pretty. They're lovely, actually. If you go out and you were to pick, every single one of them, and just look at the creativity of God, you would find that your soul is lifted, I believe. Dwell on that. What is there that is lovely around you right now? Husbands, you should be looking at your wives right now and giving them a little wink. That might be something that scores you some good points, but, but be absorbed. What my point is is that we need to be absorbed in thoughts about these things that the Word of God says. If all of you are filling your lives right now with Fox News or CNN or just news in general right now, that's not going to do you much good because it's not of good report, is it? Not to mention that it's probably not good reporting either, but I won't go there, right? I don't want to talk about that. But all of those things in the news right now if we get fixated on that, yeah, I'm not saying don't read the news. We should be in the news. We need to be responsible. But there, there can be a, a, a sense that we get too much of that. And so then that's not good for us. So what is a good report? Well, how about the good news of Jesus Christ? How about the grace of God? How about how much Jesus loves you? How about listening to what God says about you instead of to what the world is saying about you? Or that person at work. Or that person who ranted about you on, on, on social media. Or, or that threat that you're facing from the COVID-19 coronavirus. All of those things just instill fear. Those things just lead us into discouragement and depression. But God says, no, we're not to dwell on those things. We're to go and we're to find what is good. And we're to put our minds on that. And we're to fill our minds with principles from God's word. Now, David... David was a man who told his soul what to do. He said this, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, King David dealt with depression. He often went very low in his life. But you know what dug him out of that depression is when he commanded his own soul. He said, soul, you're going to bless the Lord right now. You're going to make a conscious decision right now to forget not the benefits of your loving, merciful, heavenly Father. Church, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, please follow that example. We need to follow the example and decide not to dwell in self-pity or self-focus or on the fear of the unknown. Instead, we need to command our souls to praise the Lord and to think on what we know to be true, lovely, worthy, and of good report. And don't give up. Don't give up. When you're battling depression, sometimes it can stick around for a while. In fact, some people deal with bouts of depression for a year or sometimes longer. And so what you need to do is you need to go all in if you're going to beat this depression and discouragement. You've got to give your life to the Lord and commit to finding his way of overcoming discouragement and fear that you might face. Now we see God's response to Elijah's discouragement in verses 11 through 18. God is going to speak to Elijah It says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Isn't this such A wonderful picture. Isn't it a powerful picture? Can't you just see Elijah wallowing in self-pity inside his dark cave, looking outside, waiting to see what God will say to him? And then there's this awesome windstorm. Perhaps it was a tornado like we get here in the Red River Valley, slamming rocks around on that mountain. Then there was an earthquake shaking, rumbling, tearing the earth. And then this roaring fire, and yet the Lord was not in any of those things. He was in the gentle, quiet whisper. Now, if we're being honest, most of us think that God works in the great and dramatic signs of power and might. We think that God has to do it big if he's going to do it at all, right? But listen, that's the fleshly way of thinking, If God did everything in powerful miracles and with great signs and wonders, guess what? The motive of your heart, the motive of my heart would never really be revealed. We would never really understand that we weren't trusting in ourselves. We would never really get that we were fearful and depressed or discouraged. You see, most of God's work is done quietly and behind the scenes. There are times, of course, when we see his mighty power and his glory is revealed. But if you think about it, most of what God does is in simple, quiet, natural ways. Take today, for example, my wife is stuck at home in the cave, so to speak, we might say, with our five kids. I'm sure after, after these 15 days of Uh, you know self-quarantine get over well not self-quarantine well well, back up we're not self-quarantining we're just trying to follow President Trump's guidelines okay we're not sick okay but we're in she's in that cave right now with our five kids and outside it was a rainy day today it was gloomy and dark now she could have brooded she could have gotten down on life she could be complaining she could be fearful She could be filled with anxiety or depressed. She could have chosen to become self-focused. She could be wallowing in a pity party. She could have binge watched the entire season of Wind Calls the Heart. But instead, she chose to serve. She spent time with Jesus in the morning. She served me some scrambled eggs. She worked on the schoolwork with the kids. She nursed our five month old baby. And she even went down the street to some of our elderly neighbors and offered to bring them groceries because we know that they don't have family living close by. Just, and that's a great example of what the choice that we need to make is that, hey, we can see this as a time that we isolate and get depressed and get down. Or we can see it as an opportunity to serve the Lord and to serve others, even in the smallest ways. Hey, let me get you a glass of water. Just like God was trying to get Elijah to see this, God is in the small things. He's the still small voice that whispers gently to keep on going. I believe that the still small voice is exactly how the Bible works. In fact, You see, the Bible is quietly waiting for you and I every day to sit down with us and to speak to our hearts in a gentle, still voice. I believe that too many of us are looking for God's voice to appear to us in a dramatic way. And maybe with the busyness of our lives and the craziness of life today, that's what we need is for God to actually yell at us, oh wait, maybe that's why we're slowing down, guys. Could it be that the Lord is getting our attention through causing us to halt all these activities in our lives for a bit? Just to slow down and to seek His presence and to hear His still small voice once again? I believe that in reality, God's voice is most heard in the quietness and gentleness, in the stillness of His presence, seeking Him in His Word let's continue to see what happens in first kings chapter 19 as we get ready to end this So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So Elijah is still feeling isolated and alone here. He's still feeding this false narrative. He's still feeding the lie, telling himself he's the only servant of God that's left Elijah's just like me I find ways to be dramatic I find ways to be self-focused I find ways to take pity on myself and make things seem worse than they really are but the truth is it's not as bad as it seems I'm buying into the lie we often buy into the lie we have to be careful we have to realize that hey someone's feeding this lie to me It's my flesh, it's the enemy, but it's not coming from God we need to learn to discern that and distinguish from that. Let's see how God handles this. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Verse 17. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all in every mouth that has not kissed him. So notice there with me, in a gracious and patient way, the Lord gently gives Elijah his next assignment, and then he follows up with those instructions by telling him, you're not alone, Elijah. There's actually 7,000 others, men and women in Israel, who are faithfully serving Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, this is why it is so important for us to spend time with God in prayer, meditating on his word. It's because he tells us the truth in love. He tells us the truth in love. Instead of condemning Elijah or being angry with Elijah, he simply slips in there. Here's your next assignment, and by the way, buddy, You're not alone. (laughs) You're not alone. And guess what? Regardless of what you might be thinking tonight in your fear and in your isolation, wherever you are as you listen to this, you are not alone either. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And you have brothers and sisters that love you and are praying for you and are serving the Lord along with you. So instead of remaining alone in isolation, God wanted Elijah to see that he had a work for him. He had a young man for Elijah to disciple and to raise up. You see, God always has a good work waiting for us to do for him. Have you asked him what your work is? Have you asked God to show you who it is that he wants you to pour into during this time? We see a new calling in verses 19 through 21, the last verses of the chapter. Let's finish it out. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So Elisha does something that was customary in their, their, their culture and holds a little feast of commemoration, if you will, to show his commitment that for the, the rest of his life, he was going to be doing something besides plowing these fields. And so he offers two of the, yoke, or two of the oxen there, and uh, it gives a little celebration feast as he departs to go out to serve the Lord. Now, this would have made, meant that Elisha was probably a rich man, having 12 uh, yoke of auction, oxen. But Notice that Elisha did not put his riches before his calling. He put his calling to serve the Lord first. In fact, he even uh, went further than that. He, he takes the very sustenance that was bringing all of those riches to his family, and he puts them on the altar and sacrifices them. What a great example of someone willing to commit himself 100% to the Lord's will and to cut all ties with his previous way of life. That's commitment. That's commitment. That's how you know he was all in. And this is a great example of someone who was humble enough to serve. He had a teachable spirit about him. And we know that he was not afraid to be the number two guy as he served Elijah now for the next six years of his life. You know, church, as, as I finish this tonight, I want to encourage you. We see some great examples in this chapter, 1 Kings chapter 19. And we learn some great lessons. And that as we put these lessons into practice, we too will soon sense the presence of Jesus Christ filling our lives and flowing through our lives to reach and serve and bless other people. As we choose to listen to God And to serve him by serving others will soon have this sense of joy. This joy that comes from doing the Father's will. Instead of wallowing in the dark cave of self-pity. So take time to, number one, identify where those false narratives are coming from. What's the source of the lie that you're feeding yourself over and over that's getting you down? Number two, spend some time getting rested rest up. Number three, get some exercise. Get out there and put a smile on your face and enjoy God's beautiful creation. Make a a decision to do that. And number four, and most importantly, spend time getting into God's word, meditating on his truth, and allowing the, the word of God to command your soul into the path that you are to walk in. And get out there and serve others. That is how we overcome the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety, and the spirit of depression. Let's pray.